Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Hosts Phil Fagel and Jessica McGuire talk all things self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is designed to support the concepts found in the successful middle school, This We Believe, and is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education. To learn more, visit amle.org. Today's episode, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannolis, empowering teachers to drive student participation with special guests, Bill and Persita Himmele. Hi, it is so nice to meet two new educators who are working in an area that I have very little familiarity with, except I think is so important. We are here at AMLE 50 with Persita and Bill Himmele, who have done all kinds of things. I was particularly interested, Bill, in seeing that you were a speech pathologist before you did a million other jobs, and you have a book out that I was just (laughs) going through the participation strategies. It's called Total Participation Techniques, Making Every Student an Active Learner, and both of you are uh, teach bilingual and multilingual learners. Yeah, so I have been a bilingual teacher. I've also been, so I've been elementary and middle school teacher. In the school district where I work, English language learners are our largest growing population. And we don't always feel prepared as educators to engage students who don't speak English as their first language in the classroom. It's difficult for teachers who don't have that skill set. But what they do have a skill set for is engagement. How are the strategies that you write about and teach teachers to implement in total participation, how are those strategies applicable to bring English language learners into the learning? We know it's important for every student in the space to not be able to opt out of the thinking, Mm -hmm. right? How are your strategies good for all kids and what can teachers do to make sure every learner in the space, whether they speak English as their first language or not, are engaged in the thinking? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start, and then um, Bill, I know the formative piece mm-hmm. that I really love. Um, I think, first of all, if we go to learning English or learning any language, we learn language by experiencing it in a context we understand. For example, let's say we learn slang. We learn it quickly by experiencing it in a context we understand. Uh, let's say we are talking about, you know, the dog is on the sofa and is a baby. And he looks at the dog, he knows the dog, and then sofa is new, but he looks over, the dog's on the sofa, he owns that word. The dog's on the old sofa, he, he looks at two sofas, one is old, one is new, he learns the word old. Fourth grade, the dog's on the old and decrepit sofa, or eighth grade. Oh, I see we've got two sofas. One is really disgusting. I'm going to own that word decrepit now. I'm going to, after hearing it a couple times, I'm going to learn that word. So we learn language by hearing it, by experiencing it in context we understand. The same is true for academic language. We experience it in a context we understand. So our role as teachers is to make those contexts understandable. So our English language learners are learning about photosynthesis, learning about all these um, heavy-duty context uh, or heavy-duty decontextualized things when they're presented in a textbook only. 
But if we create um, scaffolds and opportunities where we're showing videos first and then getting into the language, we're not eliminating the textbook. The textbook has great opportunities to build language, right? But in order to get them to where they understand that, we have to build the context first that they understand uh, using pictures, imagery, anything that's, that's uh, supporting the language. Uh, and then take them there, right? So that when they get to this text they, that is just written in just complicated language, they're picking stuff up. And so that is, uh, the, the strategies that we present are all about really building context, whether it be through peer uh, interactions, through them having to dig deeper because they have to finish the activity or the, the technique, um, dig deeper and find the information they need. Uh, and so um, all of the activities are, are toward, are building toward that. And, and we, know that, you know, we know that formative assessments are the magic bullet in teaching. And they ensure that there's learning with the teaching because we can have teaching but no learning. But how do you ensure there's learning with the teaching by engagement? Formative assessments. And I think sometimes in the hustle and bustle of that classroom, the teachers can think that if I ask my class who knows the answer or who can show us the answer here, they're checking that class. The challenge is they're going to get exactly what they've just asked. They have one or two students who know the answer. The challenge is the rest of the class who maybe can be disengaged, zoning, not getting content, aren't being checked on. And often those are those English language learners. Mm -hmm. So the techniques and strategies that we like to really focus on are strategies and techniques that teachers can use that everyone is going to be checked for understanding for content. And so, and as you asked about English language learners, those often then get left out in our form of assessments. So then we are increasingly having those ELLs be left behind in our instruction where we think we're getting them, but it's just a way that we're checking for that form of assessments. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the I'm a school counselor and the kids that I work with often get left behind because anxiety is getting in their way, which is so tied mm. to yeah. kids who are learning English in the classroom, which adds a layer of anxiety. And often these are the kids who can't get started until a teacher walks through the directions with them, they need a lot of reassurance that yes. if they're not coming right away, they're going to come and check yeah. in with them. Yeah. So I see a lot of applicability to kids who are struggling with anxiety and that that's what's getting yes. in their way. 100%. And we're gonna, you know, one of the ways that we can help tackle the issue is instead of asking who knows, when we're checking for understanding to go to what we call the ripple, where we're, in, where we're going to first has, ask every student to show me that you are engaged, you're getting that content. And that would be the, the, center, the center or the first ripple. And then that the second ring or that second, the ripple, would be where they're sharing it with one of their peers or on someone else as a classmate. And then the third ripple would be that outer ring where then we can ask our class who knows the answer. So that will help a lot with that anxiety and issues because you first are having every student just either process or do something to show understanding and then they're turning and talking and sharing it. And then if they feel comfortable, they can share it in that large group. So I think that's why uh, classrooms that use these type of TPT techniques 
are really help a lot with anxiety and having the students feel that confident that they are getting the information and they can articulate that and verbalize that. It, with their it takes away the social risk mm -hmm. too. It does. Hundred percent. They build community, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it also gives them time, right? Because they they um, you know these quick answers. They don't have that. They they need a little bit to process. So it gives them the time to process it. You know, just. Um, okay, everybody, take a minute on your on your page. Either quick write or quick draw um, your understandings. Then they process it with a peer. One of the things that is a um, really great consequence of using total participation techniques is you build community in the classroom. So they're much more likely, and we see this in our college classrooms where they've been together or taking courses for four years. They still don't know each other's names. Well, one of our goals is they're not leaving this classroom without knowing everybody in here or having time with them where they've talked, where they've talked about the content and they really do become to where all of a sudden you start seeing them when it's during break time, leaving together, you know, as opposed to all sitting there on their phones or, you know, I just think that it really is powerful in building community. How does your background as a speech pathologist play a role in the work you're doing now? No one has ever asked me that, so God bless you, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, because I love yeah, phonemes and how they're created and all that type of stuff, so thank you for asking me that. You know, when, when we look at uh, how we uh, produce our first language and look at someone who's coming in with a second language, uh, a different perspective. It is interesting to see uh, how their first language and how they've constructed the language with the phonemes and the articulation compares to as they come on in and learn ours. Uh, and there's some real specifics uh, that we have within our language that create some unique sort of challenges, if you will, for those coming on in a second language and you know we could go and we won't go but we can talk about how our, we tend to have our tongue in a higher position when, when we produce our phonemes that creates some issues and challenges for those coming on in in uh with a second language background can, can i just say something bill uh, became interested in english as a second language because in his schools they just assumed it was the oh, same yeah. thing so they kept giving him the yeah, yeah. the kids that needed ESL or the ESL kids, you know. Wow, I'm, yeah. I, I, it sounds like they also would have gotten confused and given you kids who had auditory processing Oh, everything, everything, everything. Any kind of learning challenge, language-based learning challenges. Yeah, and that's how eventually I got into this, absolutely. They just put them all in the same classroom. And realizing that, they, that what they need is more, is more just uh, opportunities to develop that language. So when you look at the three realms, the speech pathology, yeah. the teaching English, and the encouraging everybody to participate, what are your favorite strategies yeah. that, uh, that anyone listening could incorporate? Yeah. Well, uh, the first one is the appointment agenda. Like for day one, when we, t we are teaching, they will, they will, um, sign up this for this thing called the appointment agenda and it's it's basically like 12 slots and the 12 slots are where they go and they get a pre pre scheduled appointments this is for two people so if i'm at 8 a.m on yours like this will be yours um, my name will be there and it'll it's a list of basically times um if you google um Total Participation Techniques Appendix, you'll see it's on page uh, 177. 
it's free. <laughs> um, and you, you just, you can see, and then I will write your name here. So I have an 8 a.m. is, let's say, Phyllis. Um, and when, anytime, so we'll have this all filled out in the beginning of the semester, and we use it every single day, several times a day. We'll just say, go meet with your 8 a.m. and talk about what you wrote. Yeah. Oh, and why, I love that. Yeah. And, and it's why I think that's so important is that ensures that the blood is circulating yeah. around the body, getting to the brain. And we lose so many of our students because they're sitting down. We are losing them biologically because their blood is not circulating, getting the brain where it needs to be. Their brain isn't on all cylinders. So that's why when we bring movement into our lessons, all of a sudden the students come alive. Why? The blood is circulating, the brain is on all cylinders. So in my classroom, like I start off every class, they typically have read a chapter, have done something within the book for today's session. I have them stand on up, go to one of their partners for a five to seven minute conversation on the interactions they had with that chapter. The whole reason I'm doing that is just to get that blood circulating. They come back to the original seat, and now I know what we're about to do is going to stick to them. So when I look at my class, when I want something to stick to my students, I'm using an appointment agenda to get the blood circulating, and then it's going to stick to them. And, they, and they, they're excited. Like, they've talked about it. So now they want it. So now it's like, all right, what'd you talk about? And you get hands. Now you get, you know, people. Do you mix it up each time? How often do oh, you yeah, change yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. No, just randomly. 100%. I'm just randomly. Yeah, I think Bill yeah. goes in order. I just, no, 10 a.m. I do like the, the odds and then go to the evens. And so every, every 25 yeah. mm -hmm. minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, or, or when I want to, uh, something to stick to them, unpack something. I get them up by their seat talking, and the whole purpose is I want that blood circling so the brain will be on the cylinders. And that's why you sit down, we yeah, all start yeah. zoning. Why is that? Biological. And they're not allowed to use anybody who's sitting at their tables because they're all buddies. You know, they're all sitting at their tables. <laughs> by the end, they 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 know everyone on their list by the end. Ooh. You know, they're there. So we're asking them only one time and, and someone yeah. who's not at your table. And also, every time that I, after we do that, I always will say, typically, when you come back to original seats, say something kind to the person you just had a conversation. So they're not only sharing concepts or sharing with the learning, but they're also saying a nice thing to someone. So. Yeah. You also have another book titled, Why Are We Still Doing That? Yes. <laughs> and I've been looking at it sitting here in the room. Thinking as an administrator of a school building, how to empower teachers to change practices. Because we're talking about building community within your classroom and ensuring high levels of learning for every student in there, whether they're outspoken or not, right? right, right. And there's not a teacher that doesn't want that. Right. But often teachers teach like they were taught, mm -hmm. and it mm. is not the strategies that we know are best for kids. It's not incorporating movement, right? Mm -hmm. And I also think that when teachers ask the class a question and two hands go up and they get the answer, it's reaffirming to oh, the teacher in many ways. But the kids who answered probably might have already known the answer, right. and everyone else can opt out of that learning, right? Right. As a building administrator, how can I and other administrators empower teachers to be vulnerable to take the risk? Because engagement strategies in the classroom can feel pretty messy on the yeah. teacher yeah. end, mm -hmm. and the impact's huge, mm -hmm. but it feels a little chaotic to begin, I think. Yeah. Right. How can we empower teachers to take that risk and just begin 
Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think that they really work. So if you look at the, the, the book, Place and Techniques, we traveled into a middle school, we uh, worked with teachers, um, and then they implemented these techniques and we observed, and it's actually um, been the subject of um, a couple studies that we described in the second edition. Um, we, we have, I think it works right away. Like, it's not like, oh, that was a bummer, that, that was a flop. I don't, we don't see that. I mean, they're just simple, you know, get your kids to talk about what they wrote. They've already written about it. So it's, it's instead of you reading all their writings, they're, they're talking about it. And so uh, I don't see that we really need to ease them in, but I do see that we need to encourage them to do it because, I'm saying that, because um, it's, like you said earlier, we, we use what we know, and what we know is oftentimes, who can tell me? Who can tell me what we mm -hmm. talked about yesterday? Or, mm -hmm. We use what we know, and so that's not really, the, the biggest thing is just to encourage it, to say, I'd like you to try, you know, a chalkboard splash, which, you know. Um, and so, I think the students want these type, this type of instruction. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we have a trust poem in the back of one of our books about, you know, our perspective from trusting the student that in terms of the type of instruction that they want, those type of experiences they want, the community that they want. I think they want it. Can you read yes. that poem? Yes, it's called, it's called the trust poem. I trust you. I trust that you want to learn. I trust that you have amazing things to share. I'm going to shape opportunities so that you can share them. I trust that you can learn from each other. And I trust that our collective differences make us all a bit smarter. I trust that if you trust yourself, the best in you will come out. I love that poem. We, we interviewed a few middle schoolers yesterday. And one of the things they talked about was how important it was that they felt that their teachers trusted them and believed in them enough to even self-disclose mm -hmm. a bit about themselves, that it wasn't just that one-way street. And that poem made me think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, There's yeah. also that one thing that you always read. Well, I, I don't know yeah, what page just read there, You know, why I think is this so important? Can I just read there's yeah. a little yeah. section? This is about appreciating student differences building a TPT conducive classroom. And to me, this brings everything together, what we're talking about. We witnessed this appreciation for student differences during the interactions in Keeley Potter, Megan Babcock's class. And during one particular quick draw activity, reading specialist Potter was walking around the room, periodically pausing to comment on students' illustrations. She stopped to reflect on one student's quick draw. And after the student explained her use of symbolism in the drawing, Potter probed, do other teachers know that you're this deep? Student responded, no, I don't think so. And we talked to Potter afterward regarding the conversation, and her response was as notable as it was depressing. She said, she hasn't had the opportunities to show what she knows. She doesn't get to show what she knows verbally or in writing. She never shares in class. Never, ever. And I've witnessed that firsthand. It's easy to miss all that she has. She's a perfect example of a kid who's going to be completely overlooked without the use of TPTs. She's got this creative, abstract way of thinking, but no one will ever know that because of her silence. 
-hmm. And that to me brings it all together uh, why so important teachers using techniques that's going to ensure everyone is having that voice be heard, no matter who, if they're introvert or extrovert, but everyone has their voice be heard in their classroom. And I think specifically for middle grades, it's more important than any other grades in my, in our opinion. I agree. I think teachers could pick up your book and um, individually or as a team, pick a technique and choose to do like a teaching sprint. Like for one week, I'm gonna try this in all of my blocks, right? right? And right. maybe if they each pick a different one and then come yeah. back and share yeah. together the impact, the learning, the professional learning for teachers through your book could also be a huge impact to a school culture and to the kids' yeah. learning. Yeah. I mean, there, there's elementary, there's secondary, there's college who use this, but this all came from frustrated middle school teachers were frustrating yeah. with what was happening in classroom and they didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And we partnered and brainstormed and this is how this all came, but it came from those classrooms. Yeah. I know we're running out of time, but I really want to ask you about one line in your book, the why are we still doing that, mm -hmm. is in your mm -hmm. conclusion. You have, you start with something from The Godfather. Yeah. You say, <laughs> leave the gun, take the cannoli. Mm -hmm. Where does this come from? <laughs> <laughs> so every chapter starts with um, a, a movie quote. And that one was just talking about how nobody is putting a gun to your head to use these practices. Round robin reading, for example, or calling, direct, lecture, lecture, call on a student, lecture, lecture, call on a student. You have choices, so leave the gun, take the cannoli, you know, those those types of things. The um, power of choice. The power and of choice. And I think choice. sometimes we get frustrated when we forget about the power of choice that we have in our profession. This, this particular one is on standardized testing, and it's just... The, the comment is from Devil Wears Prada. I'm just one stomach flew away from my goal weight. And that's the standardized test based practices. Yeah. That's great. I think a lot of teachers and administrators will appreciate that. Because it's so unhealthy. You know, it looks good. It makes us look good. But, you know, the, the, the second you're looking at really a long-term goals, it's not going to give you that. It's not going to give you long-term growth. Yeah. And I think what I'm also hearing is that if we want to be able to elicit the kind of insights, responses, participation that we want, we have to understand middle schoolers' psychology. Yes. in particular, which may be at odds with the way a teacher would want to teach or might be at odds with how they would teach if they were working with a different age group, but middle schoolers are not going to give a response unless they're sure that right. they know what they're doing and 100%. won't embarrass themselves. Right, 100%. and that opportunity to do like, okay, individually and then group or small or pairs, so critical for that. I mean, then and then, you know, if they choose to share it, now they're more likely to because they've had success in in, um, in working, you know, in the small group or in the pairs. And right now, post-pandemic, with everybody struggling with social skills, what I also love about this as a school counselor is that what I've seen is that the kids who are too much for their friends, you know, sometimes it's kids with ADHD or kids with social skills deficits, 
they don't do well partnered for long periods of time with somebody. They drive them away. Right. But with your appointment style, you get these very brief, structured interactions that give them the practice they need, but also set them up for success. Yeah. Right. And teachers talk about uh, what it, it did in their classroom, how it leveled the playing field to, for all, because you didn't just have these few, the one on top of the totem pole answering and responding. Everyone is being having their voice be heard in this classroom, and that changes the dynamic for all. Oh, absolutely. Now, the one student that we're, uh, Bill just read the quote from, that student was in learning support. And so, you know, here she's being super successful. She's got all these these areas of, that, where she really shines, and she was able to show that. Mm -hmm. Percy Danville, this has been a great conversation, and I know that our listeners are going to take so much away from it. Thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, thank, thank you for having us. This is fun. <laughs> thank you.